Well, if you would keep your Bibles open to 1 Peter chapter 1 or your bulleted, um, I will refer to it throughout the message. Um, I also want to remind you that in your bulletin is the Bible reading guide for this week. And I did something a little different this week with that. Sometimes it's, it's very helpful and, and interesting to look at a book in the Bible like First Peter, especially if they're short like this one, and, and trace themes. Um, and you could do that by looking at some of the words or concepts that are repeated over and over and over again. And so what I've done for each of these five days of the Bible reading guide is I've, I've taken a word or a, or a theme or a concept that runs throughout First Peter, and I've, I've asked you just to trace it through. I've given you all the verses where those are referenced, and then just asked you to think about, what do you learn about salvation, for example? What do you learn about grace? What do you learn about glory? What do you learn about faith and hope and love throughout First uh, Peter? So um, that might be helpful to you. Uh, to get an understanding of what Peter is trying to say to us uh, in his letter. And then also on the back of that, again, are some discussion questions if you want to use them in your small group or in a conversation with a friend. Those are there for your help. Let's pray. Father, um, we come again to your word and... We are so grateful to you for it. I pray that your spirit would come, take this living and active word of yours, and transform us. Um, We want to be informed, but even more so, we want to be transformed um, into the image of Jesus. So would you come by the power of your spirit, show us Jesus, and Help us to trust him. Um, That's what we ask in his name. Amen. Last week we talked about how we have this great ballast in our boats as uh, God sends us out on this journey and we set sail uh, as his exiles that Peter has packed into our boats sandbag after sandbag of glorious Christ-centered truth. Um, But now, soon, now Peter is going to turn, and having prepared our boats uh, and supplied us with a great ballast to hold us steady in the storms that we're going to face, he's now going to say, let's set sail. Let's get going in uh, verse 13, he's going to say, uh, therefore, and what he's saying is all the things that I've said in the last 12 verses, because of that, live this way. And so the rest of the letter is um, Peter's exhortations for us to live uh, by the real grace that he's been declaring. And then he'll also, along the way, continue to declare God's real grace to us as he continues to exhort us to live as exiles. Um, 
in the places God has put us. But before we launch into that, and, and next week we'll start looking at these different ways that, that Peter is saying that God, God has made us his family, and then the week after that, God has made us his temple and priests. And what it, He's going to start unpacking for us what it looks like to live as God's elect exiles. But before we do that, I want to look at uh, one more thing that's a little bit of a step back. Um, I want to help us understand something about what Peter is saying to us um, about this living real grace in our real life. So first, I want to remind us of how Peter defines real life. Um, You know, people say all the time to people like me who like to teach and preach the Bible, they say, well, but I want to know how it applies to my real life. You know, this is all... You go to church on Sunday morning, you sit there and you do all the church stuff, but then I've got to get out in the real world. Well, Peter has a different understanding of what the real world is and the real life. He's calling us to a real life, um, to a way of living in your quote-unquote real life that perhaps you haven't thought about before. Uh, he defines the real life that God has called you to as the life of an exile or a resident alien. Um, if, as we've said, if you're a disciple of Jesus, then you've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved Son, Jesus. You are a citizen of heaven living as a resident alien in a foreign land. You have a different king. You live by a different set of values. You submit to a higher law. You have a different way of talking and walking. You clothe yourselves with humility. You take up the basin and towel of a servant. Of a servant. Uh, you're different. You're a living answer to the prayer that Jesus prayed in John 17, in which he prayed that God would make us, his people, people who live in the world, but are not of the world, while they live for the sake of the world. That's what it looks like. That's your real life. Peter says, you live in the world, you don't run away from it, you don't gather up in a little holy huddle and build some sort of wall around yourself and every now and then toss a gospel grenade across, you stay engaged in the world with people in the world, in the places God has put you. But you don't also accommodate to the world, you don't assimilate, you're not of the world, you're different. And all of that is for the sake of the world. It's so that, as Jesus prayed, so that they might see in us and the way we live as God's people, that they might see and believe that God loves us and that he sent Jesus. So that's the real life that Peter's calling us to. But he also says that the real life we've been called to is a life of suffering. one of the words or themes that I did not put in the Bible reading guide was the word suffering. But actually, that's the one that's mentioned the most. 17 times in 1 Peter, he mentions the word suffer or suffering, and it's either referring to the suffering of Jesus or the suffering of Jesus' people. And then he throws in a couple of instances of the word trials on top of that. 
So almost 20 times. A theme that's bigger than any other theme almost is that we will suffer. The real life of the exile is a life of suffering. And this is actually the pattern uh, of Jesus' life. Suffering, then glory. In verse 11 that uh, Jeff read for us this morning, uh, it says that the, the prophets were inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicated when he, the Spirit, predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. So he's describing, describing Jesus' exile, his life as an exile, as one of suffering then glory. But that suffering then glory then becomes the pattern of our lives as exiles. So in chapter 2, we didn't read this this morning, but we're going to get to it soon. Peter says, If when you do good and suffer for it, you endure... This is a gracious thing in the sight of God, for to this you have been called. This is the real life you've been called to. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. And then he says in chapter 4, But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So like Jesus, our lives are to be lives of suffering and glory. Jesus was loved by his Father from all eternity. Jesus obeyed his Father's will. Jesus suffered according to his Father's will. Jesus died. Jesus was resurrected. And Jesus now enjoys eternal glory with the Father. That is also the pattern of your life, if you're one of his. If you're a citizen of the kingdom of Jesus, you have been loved by the Father from all eternity. You now live to obey the Father's will. You suffer according to your Father's good and loving will for you. You will one day die. You will one day be resurrected. You will eternally enjoy the glory of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit forever. That's the real life you've been called to. And so that's why he says in 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while... If necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith may be, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Suffering now for a little while, glory later. And then he comes back to that again at the end of 1 Peter in chapter 5, verse 10. He says, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, suffering then glory, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So you're going to suffer. Uh, but don't worry, Peter says. It's just for a little while. And I'd be tempted to argue with him about that, but it's Peter, the man that church tradition says was crucified and was so upset about being crucified that he demanded that he not be crucified like his Lord Jesus, so he asked them to crucify him upside down. So one day, we will enjoy the eternal glory of Christ, but, but what happens in the meantime? What happens in the meantime? In, in the life of the 
exile, it's a mean time. But what happens is that those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. That's 1 Peter 4.19. So, if suffering marks the journey, now my question for us is, what marks the sojourner? If suffering is what marks the exile, uh, then what marks the people who are in exile? And Peter goes on to highlight what all the apostles have highlighted um, in their letters, uh, what they valued, what they wanted to see in people who were growing in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus is three things. They wanted to see faith, hope, and love. In fact, you know the famous verse that, uh, where the Apostle Paul at the end of 1 Corinthians 13 says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. And he says, so now, faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Um, On the front of your bulletin, I I put Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of those verses, and I love this. I I think this is what Peter is trying to get, get us to see. He says, we don't see things yet clearly. We're squinting in the fog peering through a mist, but it won't be long before the weather clears and the sun shines bright. We'll see it all then, see it all as clearly as God sees, knowing him directly just as he knows us. But for right now, until that completeness, we have three things to do to lead us toward that consummation. Trust steadily in God. Hope unswervingly. Love extravagantly. And the best of the three is love. So what do exiles do in the meantime? They live by faith, hope, and love. They trust the grace God has already brought to them in Jesus. They hope in the grace God will bring to them in Jesus. And they love by bringing the grace that they've been given to the people they've been given in the places God's put them. So let's think about that. Let's unpack that a little bit. In the meantime, we trust the grace that God has already brought to us in Jesus. First uh, Peter 1, 8 and 10. Though you had not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. That's faith. And you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. The grace that was to be yours. What is he talking about? It's the grace that was to be ours because Jesus came. Um, Remember, a few weeks ago, I defined grace for you as uh, the free gift of God's undeserved and unearned favor where he turns his face to you. He gives you his smile. He favors you. It's a free gift bought by the blood of Jesus. That's God's grace. He brought that grace to us already, and we are to hang on to it, to trust it, to rely on it. That's faith. Um, Mark Twain was famous for saying, faith is for 
is, faith is believing what you know ain't so. Of course, all your atheist friends like to throw that in your face. Faith is believing what you know ain't so. Sadly, too many Christians believe that's what it is too. But that's not what the Bible says faith is. Faith is trusting what, we got, what God says is so, even if you can't see it. Though you now have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe him. So, if faith is believing what God says is so, even though we can't see it, that reminds me of Thomas. Remember doubting Thomas? Remember he's the one who said, I will not believe that Jesus is resurrected until I can see him and I can put my fingers in his scars, in his wounds. Eight days later, he got to do that. And this is what Jesus said to him. Thomas, peace be with you. Put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed just because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. And then John goes on to say, Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, the book of John, the Gospel of John. But these are written, the ones I have written, are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So, no, we, like Thomas, don't get to touch the scars of Jesus and then believe. But what we get, Jesus is saying, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. And then John says, here's how you see. I've told you the story. There are four different gospels, four different stories about what Jesus has done for us. Then there's all these letters from the apostles that unpack that story and tell us what it means and tell us how to live in that story. So no, None of us are going to get to see Jesus before we go to heaven and touch him. We have to believe what he said in his word through his apostles. And so did the people Peter was writing to. Though you do not now see him, you love him. Though, the, though you do not now see him, you believe in him. You trust him. You're in exile. You have to live by faith. And he went on to say, in uh, verse 12, it was revealed to the prophets that they were serving not themselves, but you. When the prophets told the prophecies about Jesus, recorded them in what we call the Old Testament, they were serving us in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. John, Mark, Matthew, Luke, Paul, Peter, all of the New Testament is the announcement, the preaching of the good news, so that we can see Jesus with the eyes of our hearts. And you say, well, Jimmy, um, I don't have a strong faith. I'm not going to be a good exile because I don't have, good, I don't have strong faith. I'm more like Thomas. Um, think about this. 
Tim Keller gives a great illustration. He says, imagine that you are falling off a cliff. Well, happy Sunday morning to you. Imagine that you're falling off a cliff. You're sliding down the side of a cliff, and there's a branch, and you can see that branch, and you grab a hold of that branch, and it saves you. Now, he goes on to say, he said, if you look at the branch as you're going down in slow motion, and everything happens in slow motion when you're about to die, right? Um, you, grab, you look at that branch and you say, I really don't think it's going to hold me. I doubt. I have serious doubts about whether that branch holds me or not. But you still grab it, and it is strong enough to save you. It doesn't matter how weak your faith was. What matters is how strong the branch was. So friends, as you're uh, sliding down the cliff of whatever's going on in your life right now, um, don't worry that you have concerns about whether Jesus is going to hang on to you. Just hold on to him. Just reach out. It's not about how strong you are. It's about how strong he is. So, exiles live by faith. But then, exiles also trust the grace that God will bring to us in, will bring to us in Jesus. He's already brought grace to us through Jesus, but he's going to bring grace to us in Jesus when Jesus is fully and finally, finally revealed. That's what he says in verse 13. He says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter told us in verse 3 that we have a living hope. Now he tells us how to live in hope. He says, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay, so how do I do that? Well, he says, you do it by preparing your mind for action and being sober-minded. Now, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on these today because we're going to come back to this whole passage next week and look at it again from a different angle. But quickly... Prepare your minds for action. This is how, this is how you hope. Um, literally, it means gird up the loins of your mind. And that was a, that was a phrase they used back in those days because they all wore long robes. And if they were going to do any kind of work or to run somewhere or do any kind of manual labor, they would take up the slack of their robes and tuck it into their belt so that they were prepared for action. That's what, Paul is, uh, that's what Peter is saying. Prepare your mind for action. Gird up the loins of your mind. Um, as John Piper said, put your mind into the service of your hope. Exiles think differently. We see the world differently. We understand the purpose and meaning of life differently. We see our small story in the light of God's larger story. So put your mind into action to set your hope on Jesus. It's going to require you to do something with your mind. But then he says something else about your mind. He says, be sober-minded. That means self-control. It's self-controlled. It's got something to do with, don't be intoxicated. Don't be dulled by an addiction. Tom Schreiner said this way. He says, there's a way of living that becomes dull to the reality of God that is anesthetized by the attractions of this world. 
When people are lulled into such drowsiness, they lose sight of Christ's future revelation of himself, and they concentrate only on fulfilling their earthly desires. So when Peter says, be sober-minded in order to set your hope on Jesus, he's saying, don't be dulled by an addiction to your now comfort, but be alert to your then glory. Be alert. Don't prepare your mind for comfort. Prepare your mind for action. Because exiles hope if exiles hope in the future grace of God in their present life of suffering. And then finally, in the meantime, we love God and others by the grace that God gives us in the places he puts us. Um, Peter goes on to say that we should love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Now here, he doesn't talk about giving grace to others, but later in 1 Peter 4, he does. He says, as each one of you has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. You and I as exiles, as we are resting in by faith on the grace that God brought to us in Jesus, as we're preparing our minds for action and setting our hope on the grace that will be brought to us, when Jesus is fully and finally revealed, what do we do in the meantime? We give that grace to the people that God has given us in the places God has put us. And that's what the rest of 1 Peter is about. He's going to show us what that looks like. And so in the bottom of your sermon notes in your bulletin, I put this quote from Dan Allender, and I think he does a nice job of tying this all together for us. He says, we are meant to live with faith, hope, and love. They are as much the core of our being as breath is to our body. Love is always a byproduct of being loved. Therefore, love needs faith. We cannot love without the memory of God's goodness in redeeming us. Love needs, in order for us to love now, we have to know that we have been loved by God. Love also needs hope, he says. We cannot love without a vision of God's goodness in coming fully to perfect us, to, to fully perfect us. But with faith and hope, then we can love. Imperfectly, but progressively, moving with a sense of God's love and purpose for us. And so the rest of 1 Peter is going to tell us how we live as exiles by faith, hope, and love. But I want, to, I want to close with this. There is a real temptation, though, in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of the floods, in the midst of the fires. There's a real temptation to look around and, and, and just give up on faith, give up on hope, and give up on love. But the Jews who were in exile in Babylon felt the same way. And this is why I put... Psalm 137 in your bulletin. Look back at it again. This is how they were feeling. They wanted to give up. They said, by the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion, when we remembered home, where we remembered where, where God dwelt with us and we dwelt with him. On the willows there in Babylon, on the trees 
we just hung up our lyres. We, we just hung up our guitars and our fiddles. For there, our captors required of us songs and our ter- tormentors required mirth or, or joy from rejoicing from us, saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. It was a way to mock God's people because the songs of Zion were all songs about the works, the mighty works of their mighty God, the love of their mighty God for them. Well, how could they sing that kind of song when they were captive and their God had abandoned them to the, to the Babylonians? And so they said, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? And so I want to ask you, so how do you sing songs... How, do you, how does your heart sing of faith and hope and love in the middle of the things that you're going through that are so hard? You will be tempted to hang up your guitar and not sing about the mighty works of your mighty God because of His mighty love for you. When Christine was... Uh, burned 20 years ago, the week before that horrible accident where she was burned on 38% of her body and spent a month in intensive care, the week before that, we went on a mission trip with our youth group. And that was the first time that she and I had ever heard or learned the song that we sang earlier, Isaiah 43, which says, when you pass through the fire, you'll not be burned, and the flames will not consume you. And so as she sat in the hospital uh, in excruciating pain, that song came back to us. And we realized, wait, this song is a gift. God gave us this song a week before. We'd never heard it before. And so that song became a theme for us in the midst of her recovery uh, from her burns. We would sing it together at her bedside. And then it, it became, then Isaiah 43 became her hope because in Isaiah 43 it says, no matter the flood, no matter the fire, I know you by name. I have redeemed you. I have called you mine. There's something that floods and fires can't take away from you, child of God. That is your mind. We need a song to sing in Babylon. And if you go back to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, I skipped this last week. He starts the whole big message with, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That whole section that we looked at last week is a praise song. All this rich stuff in chapter 1 about why we should be able to put our faith in Jesus who brought God's grace to us, why we should be able to put our hope in Jesus who will bring God's grace to us, and why we should be able to give grace to the people in the places God's put us. It's a song. It's a song. 
If you know this, sing it with me. How firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he hath said? To you who for refuge to Jesus have fled, when through fiery trials your pathway shall lie, my grace all-sufficient shall be your supply. The flame shall not hurt you, I only design your dross to consume and your gold to refine. Do you hear what this hymn writer has done? He's taken Isaiah 43 and 1 Peter 1 and put them together in that verse. When through fiery trials your pathway shall lie, my grace, all sufficient, shall be your supply. The flame shall not hurt you. I only designed the flame to consume the impurity and to refine you like gold. The soul that on Jesus has leaned for repose, I will not, I will not desert to his foes. That soul, though all hell, should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. Oh, Father God. The good news of the gospel about Jesus is our song in exile. Would you teach us how to be a people who are not afraid to sing while we suffer? And we thank you for this table that is also a reminder that we have good reason to sing because Jesus was broken for us. Jesus was poured out for us. But now, he lives in resurrected glory. And so this table gives us hope that though we suffer now, though we are broken now, though we are crushed now, because we are united to Jesus, we too will live in resurrected And now set apart this bread and this cup from their everyday normal use and let them be for us the lyrics of a song that your people will sing even while we suffer. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.